0: Chapter One of Marcia Schuyler. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Marcia Schuyler by Grace Livingston Hill. Chapter One. The sun was already up, and the grass blades were twinkling with sparkles of dew as Marcia stepped from the kitchen door. She wore a chocolate calico with little sprigs of red and white scattered over it. Her hair was in smooth brown braids down her back, and there was a flush on her round cheeks that might have been but the reflection of the rosy light in the east. Her face was as untroubled as the summer morning in its freshness, and her eyes as dreamy as the soft clouds that hovered upon the horizon, uncertain where they were to be sent for the day marcia walked lightly through the grass and the way behind her sparkled again like that of the girl in the fairy tale who left jewels wherever she passed a rail fence stopped her which she mounted as though it had been a steed to carry her onward and sat a moment looking at the beauty of the morning her eyes taking on that far-away look that annoyed her stepmother when she wanted her to hurry with the dishes or finish a long seam before it was time to get supper. She loitered but a moment, for her mind was full of business, and she wished to accomplish much before the day was done. Swinging easily down to the other side of the fence, she moved on through the meadow, over another fence and another meadow, skirting the edge of a cool little strip of woods, which lured her with its green mysterious shadows, its whispering leaves and twittering birds one wistful glance she gave into the sweet silence seeing a clump of maidenhair ferns rippling their feathery locks in the breeze then resolutely turning away she sped on to the slope of blackberry hill it was not a long climb to where the blackberries grew and she was soon at work the great luscious berries dropping into her pail almost with a touch but while she worked the vision of the hills the sheet meadow below the river winding between the neighboring farms, melted away, and she did not even see the ripe fruit before her, because she was planning the new frock she was to buy with these berries she had come to pick. Pink and white it was to be. She had seen it in the store the last time she went for sugar and spice. There were dainty sprigs of pink over the white ground, and every berry that dropped into her bright pail was no longer a berry, but a sprig of pink chintz. While she worked she went over her plans for the day. There had been busy times at the old house during the past weeks. Kate, her elder sister, was to be married. It was only a few days now to the wedding. There had been a whole year of preparation, spinning and weaving and fine sewing. The smooth white linen lay ready, packed between rose leaves and lavender. There had been yards and yards of tatting and embroidery made by the two girls for the trousseau, and the village dressmaker had spent days at the house, cutting, fitting, shearing, till now there was a goodly array of gorgeous apparel piled high upon bed and chairs, and hanging in the closets of the great spare bedroom. The outfit was as fine as that made for Patience Hartrant six months before, and Mr. Hartrant had given his one daughter all she had asked for, in the way of a setting out. Kate had seen to it that her things were as fine as Patience's, but they were all for Kate. Of course that was right. Kate was to be married, not Marcia, and everything must make way for that. Marcia was scarcely more than a child as yet, barely seventeen. No one thought of anything new for her just then, and she did not expect it but into her heart there had stolen a longing for a new frock herself amid all this finery for kate she had her best one of course it was good and pretty and quite nice enough to wear to the wedding and her stepmother had taken much relief in the thought that marcia would need nothing during the rush of getting kate ready but there were people coming to the house every day especially in the afternoons friends of kate and of her stepmother to be shown Kate's wardrobe, and to talk things over curiously. Marcia could not wear her best dress all the time. And he was coming. That was the way Marcia always denominated the prospective bridegroom in her mind. His name was David Spafford, and Kate often called him Dave, but Marcia, even to herself, could never bring herself to breathe the name so familiarly. She held him in great awe. He was so fine and strong and good, with a face like a young saint in some old picture, she thought. She often wondered how her wild, sparkling sister Kate dared to be so familiar with him. She had ventured the thought once when she watched Kate dressing to go out with some young people and preening herself like a bird of paradise before the glass. It all came over her, the vanity and frivolousness of the life that Kate loved, and she spoke out with conviction. Kate, you'll have to be very different when you're married. Kate had faced about amusedly and asked why. Because he is so good, Marcia had replied, unable to explain further. Oh, is that all? said the daring sister, wheeling back to the glass. Don't you worry, I'll soon take that out of him. But Kate's indifference had never lessened her young sister's awe of her prospective brother-in-law. She had listened to his conversations with her father during the brief visits he had made, and she had watched his face at church while he and Kate sang together as the minister lined it out, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee, a new song which had just been written. And she had mused upon the charmed life Kate would lead. It was wonderful to be a woman and be loved as Kate was loved, thought Marcia, So in all the hurry, no one seemed to think much about Marcia, and she was not satisfied with her brown Delane afternoon dress. Truth to tell, it needed letting down, and there was no more left to let down. It made her feel like last year to go about in it with her slender ankles so plainly revealed. So she set her heart upon the new chins. Now, with Marcia, to decide was to do. She did not speak to her stepmother about it, for she knew it would be useless. Neither did she think it worth while to go to her father, for she knew that both his wife and Kate would find it out and charge her with useless expense just now when there were so many other uses for money, and they were anxious to have it all flow their way. She had an independent spirit, so she took the time that belonged to herself and went to the blackberry patch which belonged to everybody. Marcia's fingers were nimble and accustomed and the sun was not very high in the heavens when she had finished her task and turned happily toward the village the pails would not hold another berry her cheeks were glowing with the sun and exercise and little wisps of wavy curls had escaped about her brow damp with perspiration her eyes were shining with her purpose half fulfilled as she hastened down the hill Crossing a field, she met Hanford Weston with a rake over his shoulder and a wide-brimmed straw hat like a small shed over him. He was on his way to the south meadow. He blushed and greeted her as she passed shyly by. When she had passed, he paused and looked admiringly after her. They had been in the same classes at school all winter, the girl at the head, the boy at the foot but Hanford Weston's father owned the largest farm in all the country round about, and he felt that did not so much matter. He would rather see Marcia at the head anyway, though there had never been the slightest danger that he would take her place. He felt a sudden desire now to follow her. It would be a pleasure to carry those pails that she bore as if they were mere featherweights. He watched her long, elastic step for a moment, considered the sun in the sky, and his father's command about the south meadow, and then strode after her. It did not take long to reach her side, swiftly as she had gone. As well as he could, with the sudden hotness in his face and the tremor in his throat, he made out to ask if he might carry her burden for her. Marcia stopped, annoyed. She had forgotten all about him, though he was an attractive fellow, sometimes called by the girls, Handsome Hanford she had been planning exactly how that pink-sprigged chintz was to be made and which parts she would cut first in order to save time and material she did not wish to be interrupted the importance of the matter was too great to be marred by the appearance of just a schoolmate whom she might meet every day and whom she could so easily spell down she summoned her thoughts from the details of mutton-leg sleeves and looked the boy over to his great confusion She did not want him along, and she was considering how best to get rid of him. "'Weren't you going somewhere else?' she asked sweetly. "'Wasn't there a rake over your shoulder? What have you done with it?' The culprit blushed deeper. "'Where are you going?' she demanded. "'To the south meadow,' he stammered out. "'Oh, well, then you must go back. I shall do quite well, thank you.' your father will not be pleased to have you neglect your work for me though i'm much obliged i'm sure was there some foreshadowing of her womanhood in the decided way she spoke and the quaint prim set of her head as she bowed him good morning and went on her way once more the boy did not understand he only felt abashed and half angry that she had ordered him back to work and too in a tone that forbade him to take her memory with him as he went. Nevertheless, her image lingered by the way and haunted the south meadow all day long as he worked. Marcia, unconscious of the admiration she had stirred in the boyish heart, went her way on fleet feet, her spirit one with the sunny morning, her body light with anticipation, for a new frock of her own choice was yet an event in her life. She had thought many times, as she spent long hours putting delicate stitches into her sister's wedding garments, how it would seem if they were being made for her. She had whiled away many a dreary scene by thinking out, in a sort of dream story, how she would put this or that at will if it were her own, and go here or there, and have people love and admire her as they did Kate. It would never come true, of course she never expected to be admired and loved like kate kate was beautiful bright and gay everybody loved her no matter how she treated them it was a matter of course for kate to have everything she wanted marcia felt that she never could attain to such heights in the first place she considered her own sweet serious face with its pure brown eyes as exceedingly plain She could not catch the lights that played at hide-and-seek in her eyes when she talked with animation. Indeed, few saw her at her best, because she seldom talked freely. It was only with certain people that she could forget herself. She did not envy Kate. She was proud of her sister and loved her, though there was an element of anxiety in the love. But she never thought of her many faults. She felt that they were excusable, because Kate was Kate. It was as if you should find fault with a wild rose, because it carried a thorn. Kate was set about with many a thorn, but amid them all she bloomed her fragrant pink self, as apparently unconscious of the many pricks she gave, and as unconcerned as the flower itself. So Marcia never thought to be jealous that Kate had so many lovely things, and was going out into the world to do just as she pleased, and lead a charmed life with a man who was greater in the eyes of this girl than any prince that ever walked in fairy tale. But she saw no harm in playing a delightful little dream game of pretend now and then, and letting her imagination make herself the beautiful, admired elder sister, instead of the plain younger one. But this morning, on her way to the village store with her berries, She thought no more of her sister's things, for her mind was upon her own little frock, which she would purchase with the price of the berries, and then go home and make. A whole long day she had to herself, for Kate and her stepmother were gone up to the neighboring town on the packet to make a few last purchases. She had told no one of her plans, and was awake betimes in the morning to see the travelers off, eager to have them gone, that she might begin to carry out her plan. Just at the edge of the village, Marcia put down the pails of berries by a large flat stone, and sat down for a moment to tidy herself. The lacing of one shoe had come untied, and her hair was rumpled by exercise. But she could not sit long to rest, and taking up her burdens was soon upon the way again. Marianne Fothergill stepped from her own gate, lingering till Marcia should come up, and the two girls walked along side by side. Marianne had stiff, straight, light hair and high cheekbones. Her eyes were light and her eyelashes almost white. They did not show up well beneath her checked sunbonnet. Her complexion was dull and tanned. She was a contrast to Marcia with her clear red and white skin. She was tall and awkward and wore a linsey woolsey frock as though it were a meal-sack temporarily appropriated. She had the air of always trying to hide her feet and hands. Marianne had some fine qualities, but beauty was not one of them. Beside her, Marcia's delicate features showed clear-cut like a cameo, and her every movement spoke of patrician blood. Marianne regarded Marcia's smooth brown braids enviously her own sparse hair barely reached to her shoulders and straggled about her neck helplessly and hopelessly in spite of her constant efforts it must be lots of fun at your house these days said marianne wistfully are you most ready for the wedding marcia nodded her eyes were bright she could see the sign of the village store just ahead and knew the bolts of new chintz were displaying their charms in the window my but your cheeks do look pretty admired Marianne impulsively say how many of each has your sister got two dozens said marcia conscious of a little swelling of pride in her breast it was not every girl that had such a setting out as her sister my sighed mary and outside things too i suppose she's got one of every color what are her frocks tell me about them "'I've been up to Dutchess County and just got back last night, "'but Ma wrote Aunt Tilly that Miss Hotchkiss said her frocks was the prettiest Miss Hancocks ever sewed on.' "'We think they are pretty,' admitted Marcia modestly. "'There's a sprig chin,' and here she caught herself, "'remembering and laughed. "'I mean, a muslin Delane and a blue Delane and a blue silk. "'My, silk!' breathed Mary Ann in an ecstasy of wonder. "'And what's she going to be married in?' "'White,' answered Marcia. "'White satin, and the veil was mother's, "'our own mother's, you know.' Marcia spoke it reverently, her eyes shining with something far away that made Marianne think she looked like an angel. "'Oh, my! Don't you just envy her?' "'No,' said Marcia slowly. "'I think not. At least I hope not. "'It wouldn't be right, you know.' and then she's my sister and i love her dearly and it's nearly as nice to have one's sister have nice things and a good time as to have them one's you're good said mary decidedly as if that were a foregone conclusion but i should envy her i just should miss hodgkiss told ma there wasn't many lots in life so all honey and dew prepared like your sister's all the money she wanted to spend on clothes and a nice set-out, and a man as handsome as you'll find anywhere, and he's well off too, ain't he? Ma said she heard he kept a horse and lived right in the village, too, not as how he needed to keep one to get anywhere, either. That's what I call luxury, a horse to ride around with. And then Mr. What's-His-Name? I can't remember. Oh, yes, Spafford. He's good, and everybody says he won't make a bit of fuss if Kate does go around and have a good time. He'll just let her do as she pleases. Only old Grandma Doolittle says she doesn't believe it. She thinks every man, no matter how good he is, wants to manage his wife just for the name of it. She says your sister'll have to change her ways, or else there'll be trouble. But that's Grandma. Everybody knows her. She croaks. Ma says Kate's got her nest-feathered well, if ever a girl had. My, I only wish I had the same chance. Marcia held her head a trifle high when Marianne touched upon her sister's personal character, but they were nearing the store, and everybody knew Marianne was blunt. Poor Marianne! She meant no harm. She was but repeating the village gossip. Besides, Marcia must give her mind to Sprigged chins. THERE WAS NO TIME FOR DISCUSSIONS IF SHE WOULD ACCOMPLISH HER PURPOSE BEFORE THE FOLKS CAME HOME THAT NIGHT. MARIANNE, SHE SAID IN HER SWEET, PRIM WAY THAT ALWAYS MADE THE OTHER GIRL STAND A LITTLE IN AWE OF HER, YOU MUSTN'T LISTEN TO GOSSIP, IT ISN'T worth while. I'M SURE MY SISTER KATE WILL BE VERY HAPPY, I'M GOING IN THE STORE NOW, ARE YOU, AND THE CONVERSATION WAS SUDDENLY CONCLUDED. Marianne followed, meekly watching with wonder and envy, as Marcia made her bargain with the kindly merchant and selected her chins. What a delicious swish the scissors made as they went through the width of cloth, and how delightfully the paper crackled as the bundle was being wrapped. Marianne did not know whether Kate or Marcia was more to be envied. "'Did you say you were going to make it up yourself?' asked Marianne. Marcia nodded oh my aren't you afraid i would be it's the prettiest i ever saw don't you go and cut both sleeves for one arm that's what i did the only time ma ever let me try and marianne touched the package under marcia's arm with wistful fingers they had reached the turn of the road and marianne hoped that marcia would ask her out to help but marcia had no such purpose "'Well, good-bye. Will you wear it next Sunday?' she asked. "'Perhaps,' answered Marcia breathlessly, and sped on her homeward way, her cheeks bright with excitement. In her own room she spread the chintz out upon the bed, and with trembling fingers set about her task. The bright shears clipped the edge and tore off the lengths exultantly, as if in league with the girl. The bees hummed outside in the clover, and now and again buzzed between the muslin curtains of the open window, looked in, and grumbled out again. The birds sang across the meadows, and the sun mounted to the zenith, and began its downward march, but still the busy fingers worked on. Well for Marcia's scheme, that the fashion of the day was simple, wherein were few puckers and plates and tucks, and little trimming required, else her task would have been impossible her heart beat high as she tried it on at last the new chintz that she had made she went into the spare room and stood before the long mirror in its wide gilt frame that rested on two gilt knobs standing out from the wall like giant rosettes she had dared to make the skirt a little longer than that of her best frock it was almost as long as kate's and for a moment she lingered sweeping backward and forward before the glass and admiring herself in the long graceful folds. She caught up her braids in the fashion that Kate wore her hair, and smiled at the reflection of herself in the mirror. How funny it seemed to think she would soon be a woman like Kate! When Kate was gone, they would begin to call her Miss sometimes. Somehow she did not care to look ahead. The present seemed enough. She had so wrapped her thoughts in her sister's new life, that her own seemed flat and stale in comparison. The sound of a distant hay wagon on the road reminded her that the sun was near to setting. The family carry-all would soon be coming up the lane from the evening packet. She must hurry and take off her frock and be dressed before they arrived. Marcia was so tired that night after supper that she was glad to slip away to bed without waiting to hear Kate's voluble account of her day in town the beauties she had seen and the friends she had met. She lay down and dreamed of the morrow and of the next day and the next. In strange bewilderment, she awoke in the night and found the moonlight streaming full into her face. Then she laughed and rubbed her eyes and tried to go to sleep again, but she could not, for she had dreamed that she was the bride herself, and the words of Marianne kept going over and over in her mind. Oh, don't you envy her? Did she envy her sister? But that was wicked. It troubled her to think of it, and she tried to banish the dream, but it would come again and again with a strange sweet pleasure. She lay wondering if such a time of joy would ever come to her as it had come to Kate, and whether the spare bed would ever be piled high with clothes and fittings for her new life. What a wonderful thing it was, anyway, to be a woman and be loved! Then her dreams blended again with the soft perfume of the honeysuckle at the window and the hooting of a young owl. The moon dropped lower, the bright stars paled, dawn stole up through the edges of the woods far away, and awakened a day that was to bring a strange transformation over Marcia's life. End of Chapter 1